0: Thank you so much. If you're joining us online, it's great to have you on board this morning. Welcome. I've got a bit of an object lesson for us this morning. So for the people that are handing out communion this morning, if you'd like to just get into doing that for us, that would be great. If you'd like to serve it. Oh, they're onto it. I've got a bit of an object lesson going on this morning. Now, um, If you happen to be unfamiliar at all with communion, that's totally totally okay. We we get that here at Door of Hope. Everybody's on their own journey, and that's fine. But if you could just pass our trays along for us this morning, that would just be super helpful. However, if you would like to participate in my object lesson this morning, if you'd like to just grab a little bit of bread as it's passing you, you are very welcome to do that. And you at home... If you've got bread in the cupboard, go grab some. If you'd like to participate in my object lesson as well this morning. Yeah? Amen. So as that's just being handed out this morning, that bread was baked freshly for you this morning? Smelt like a bakery in here earlier? That's great. We were all really hungry. Bread. Is it not one of the most common food staples? Yeah? I reckon if I broke into most people's kitchens this morning... I would probably find some form of bread, yeah. Whether it was, I don't know, a white or a wholemeal or a little roll or maybe even a nice sourdough, gluten-free even. I reckon most of us are probably very, very familiar with bread. Well, so was ancient Israel. So was Old Testament Israel. They were really familiar with bread, also. It was very common. And they were quite dependent on it. They didn't quite have all of the food options that we have today, so bread formed a very important part of their diet. And so for ancient Israel, for Old Testament Israel, because bread was so common and they were so dependent on it, God chose to use it. He chose to use it as an illustration, as a teaching tool of his ability to resource provide, sustain, nourish Israel. And we can see this in the example of manna. At one point in time in Israel's history, they had to journey through the wilderness. And every morning, God would feed them. He would provide for them. He would provide manna. So every morning, they took their baskets out And they would collect these wafer-type biscuit bread sorts of things, and they would collect what they would need for that day. And so you can see in Israel that every morning they were forced to trust that God would provide what they needed for that day. And so because bread for Israel was so common and they were dependent on it, and because God had used it to show them his ability to provide, it became very symbolic to them. And so it became a very important part of their hospitality. Let's pretend that I had baked this piece of, um, this loaf of bread. I didn't, but let's pretend I did. And you see, in Israel, they kind of understood that this bread was only made possible by God. Because, you see, they understood that to make this, they would need flour and flour, they would need wheat, and for wheat, they would need seed. And they knew that seed was only made possible by God. And so they would know that they would need some seed that was only made possible by God. And yes, they might take that seed and put it in the ground, but the ground was given to them by God. And then really, they would just kind of sit back and wait while the sun shone on it, provided by God, while the rain rained on it, provided by God, and the seed would grow. And only God could make that happen. And so they understood, even though at harvest time they may go out and cut it down and put some seed aside for next time, next season of planting, they might take some and they might grind it into flour and add a few things and then bake it over their fire, but in the end, once they held this bread, they knew that it was only made possible because God had provided it. And so they'd be so grateful for every loaf they got. Because God had made it possible. And so let's pretend that you all pop over for a visit one morning. And I had had this beautiful freshly baked loaf of bread. I would be like, wow, God has provided this great loaf of bread for me. This is awesome. Let me share it with you. Let me share it. And so I would get my loaf and I would break it. (coughs) Whoops. I would break it, and I would have some, and I'd give some to you. And now, God has not only provided for me, met my needs, but he's also given me an opportunity to meet yours. Because now you're getting a meal, a meal you didn't cook, and a meal you don't have to wash up after. Who doesn't love a free meal? For so now God has not only blessed me and nourished me, but he's given me the opportunity to bless and nourish you. Check this passage out. I'll just get the crumbs off my Bible. <laughs> Check this passage out in 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 9, verses 10 to 11, it says this. This most generous God... Who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something that you can give away, which grows into fully formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. Because I would be so grateful that I had this bread and this opportunity to bless you, and you would be so grateful that you got a free meal. And around this table, there'd be such a gratefulness and a thankfulness for God's provision. There would be a bond amongst us, a bond of gratitude. So this teaching tool was so good, God decided to use it in the New Testament as well. We see this when he fed, when Jesus fed the multitudes. Jesus has been teaching all day out in the desert and the people have grown hungry. So God, so Jesus gets a few loaves and he breaks them and he feeds the multitudes. And these multitudes are super happy about this because, hey, they get a free meal. And there's leftovers. Everyone's taking home a doggy bag. They were so happy that they tried to consider making him king. So Jesus had to kind of soup out of there. But this gratitude bonded them as a community. And my friends, God is still using this teaching tool today, because what is it that you hold in your hand? Bread. And this piece of bread that you hold in your hand, it connects us. It connects us to the people that were fed by manna every morning that were dependent on God providing. And this bread, it connects us to the multitudes that were fed by Jesus. And if God was faithful to provide for them, is he not faithful to provide for us today? And then Jesus takes this this teaching tool and he takes it to a whole new level because he allows his body, like this loaf of bread on the cross, to be broken so that our spiritual need for forgiveness and reconciliation would be made possible. So in Jesus, my spiritual need can be met, my need for forgiveness and reconciliation to God. In Jesus, my need for truth could be met because Jesus fed the multitudes on his teaching and he's still teaching us today through his word. And he is also in Jesus able to meet our natural needs. You only have to read the New Testament to read how many times Jesus meets people's natural needs. And if God was faithful to do it then, he's still faithful to do it today. So as we come around the table of communion this morning, I want you to take that piece of bread in your hot little hand. And I want you to hold on to it tightly. Now, do you have a need in your life right now? Do you have a spiritual need in your life? Do you have a need for the word today? Do you need a word of truth today? Do you need to hear from God today? Do you have a natural need? I just want you to put that thought, that, that, I want you to lift that thought to God, that need to God right now as we come into communion. Just close your eyes and just lift that need to him. If he was faithful to do it then, he'll be faithful to meet your need right now. Just lift that need to him right now, and I'm going to pray. God, you have been so faithful to your people, you've been faithful for so long now. And we know that you will be faithful still today. Because that's who you are. And so we give you thanks today. For your faithfulness. And we thank you. We a heart of gratitude. For what you're doing in our lives. And we lift our need to you today. Our spiritual need. Our need for truth. And our natural needs to you. And we place them in your hands And we trust that you will meet them. And we trust that out of this this time today, that there will be miracles and stories of hope coming out of this service today. And we thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives, that you are providing and resourcing and nourishing and sustaining us. So we thank you for the bread, and we thank you for for the cup today that makes it possible for us to acknowledge you as Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may eat and drink today. I will just eat. Might not, might not be as fancy as theirs, but it'll do. So in Israel, it was considered the rudest thing in the world to share bread with someone and then go out and betray them because there had been this bond of thankfulness and gratitude. So to betray that was considered the rudest thing, or to withhold bread. It was such bad manners. And so to our story today, which is going to take place in the book of Judges. There are three characters in our story today. There's Gideon, the Israelites, and an enemy. This enemy has been upsetting Israel for about seven years now. And Israel has cried out to God, and God has raised up Gideon to fight against this enemy and set them free. So Gideon has been doing that, and he's got 300 men with him, and the enemy is fleeing before him, and that's where we pick up our story today. So if you have a Bible or some sort of device, we're in Judges chapter 8, we're reading from verse 4, Gideon and his 300 men, exhausted Yet keeping up the pursuit, came to the Jordan and crossed it. He said to the men of Sukkoth, Give my troops some bread. They are worn out, and I am still pursuing Ziba and Zelmanah, the kings of Midian. But the officials of Sukkoth said... Do you already have the hands of Zeba and Zelmana in your possession? Why should we give bread to your troops? Then Gideon replied, Just for that, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zelmana into my hand, I will tear your flesh with desert thorns and briars. From there he went to Peniel and made the same request of them. But they answered the same, as, the, as the men of Sukkoth had. So he said to the men of Peniel, When I return in triumph, I will tear down this tower. Gideon is not super happy. And he kind of has every right to be a bit mad. Bread was one of the most common things he could have asked for. And here he is, fighting this enemy, trying to release Israel, trying to free them. And he's tired in his journey. And he's asked for bread. But they're withholding it. Why would Israel do that? Why would they behave in such a way? Well, to answer that question, we're going to need to go to Judges chapter 6. We're going to need Judges chapter 6, verse 1. Down to about verse 6, reading. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive... The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So what's going on with the Israelites? Check out verse 2. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. They're preparing shelters for themselves in caves. This is Israel. This is God's people. Why are they hiding in caves? Why are they preparing these shelters? Why are they not preparing for war? Well, the answer to that is in who this enemy is. Check out who this enemy is. Check it out in verse 5. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them. This is the too many enemy. The too many, it's too much. I just can't handle it. It's just so overwhelming. I I just, I, I just can't. I can't handle it all. And when I can't handle it all and it's all too much, I just want to hide. Because it's so overwhelming, I just can't deal with it. And what is this enemy, this too many enemy? What are they doing to the land? Look in verse 5, it says, they invaded the land to ravage it. Now, that doesn't sound like a very nice thing to do something, to ravage something. Imagine standing by and watching your home and your crops, everything that you love, being ravaged, ravaged by this too many enemy. And what is the result? What has happened to Israel because of this too many enemy that is ravaging the land? Look in verse 6, it says, Midian so impoverished the Israelites. The Israelites were impoverished. Impoverished. So I'm sorry, Gideon, but I can't give you this piece of bread. Because you have not conquered the kings yet. And if you don't conquer those kings, this may be all I have. And so I'm sorry, Gideon, I can't, I can't give it to you. So this behavior, this withholding is being caused by an emotion. Do you know what the emotion is? It's fear. Fear makes us hide. Fear is causing Israel to behave in a particular way. But fear, my friends, is a fruit, a fruit that grows out of something. Just like love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, they're all fruits of the Spirit. Well, fear is a fruit as well. So what is this fear growing out of? Because if we can heal the fear, the behavior would change. So what's causing this fear? Well, we, we know that already. It's the too many enemy. There's too many enemy that is ravaging their land. Well, why is the enemy there? Why are they there? Check it out. Chapter 6, verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. The enemy is there because, well, because God let them in. Why would God do that? Why would he let the enemy in? Well, what did it say at the beginning of verse 1 in chapter 6? The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Israel has done evil. This evil has led to God letting an enemy in. This enemy is a too many enemy that's ravaging my land and it's causing me to be afraid and now it's causing me to withhold. So what was the evil? Well, in this story, God makes it really easy. If you go down a bit and you go to verse 7... God sends a prophet to tell them exactly what that evil was. Check it out, verse 7 of chapter 6. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. You have not listened to me. And because you have not listened to me, you have forgotten that it was I who brought you up out of Egypt, out of that land of slavery. And it was I who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. And it was I who delivered you from the hand of your oppressors. And it was I who drove them out before you and gave you their land. Because you have not listened, you have forgotten me, who I am. Now, when I say that they have forgotten God, I don't mean that they've forgotten God. I mean that they have forgotten God. Check it out. Go down a bit further. Go to verse 13. God sends an angel to tell Gideon that he's going to be the one that God raises up to fight against this enemy and release Israel. Check out what Gideon says to the angel. He says, pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon knows his history. He's just said so. He just said Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? He knows his history. He knows the book. He's bought the T-shirt. He knows his stuff. But listen to what he says. He says, where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? Gideon's relationship with God, his understanding of God, is based purely on what somebody else experienced and what somebody else has told him. In other words, Gideon has no personal history with God of his own. And our God is a relational god and he wants to be involved in our worlds he doesn't just want to be a part of history that we know do you not we we can know this book you can have read it you can have a theology degree in it you can have read books about this book you can have brought the t-shirt and still not go the god that this book talks about and that's what matters most If Israel had known their God, when Gideon had asked for bread, they would have had a history that told them that if they gave it, God would be able to replace it. But they had no history with God of their own. And a personal, intimate relationship with God gives us a confidence It gives us a foundation so that we know that we can give freely and God is able to take care of us. So how do we heal the fruit of fear? We need to have a personal history, a personal history with God. That gives us a confidence to know who he is. Check this out. In the message it says this, in 1 John 4, verse 17, it says this. God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way love has run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ's. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear since fear is crippling. A fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment is one not yet fully formed in love. Steve said last week that this series, 100%, was a series about the issues of our heart, And my friends, we will never be able to give 100% of anything. Not our time, not our resource, not our money, not our kindness. We will never be able to give 100% of anything if our hearts are crippled with fear. And the only answer to that fear is a personal history with God. A God who provided manna in the Old Testament Israel days to feed his people. A God who provided meal and teaching in Jesus when he fed the multitudes. A God Who made it possible through Jesus for us to be reconnected, reconciled, and forgiven back to Jesus and back to God as children of His. This is our God. And if He was faithful to do it then, He will be faithful to do it to us today. So my friends, this morning, it would be my honor to pray for anybody this morning. If you feel that your relationship with God is a bit like Gideon's, a bit like you've read the book and you've heard the stories and you've seen how it's happened for everybody else, but you want a personal history of your own that gives you the confidence that you need to know who He is and that He loves you, If, you, if that's you this morning, I would just be honored to pray for you this morning. And I would also love to pray for anybody this morning who has a struggle or a heart issue with fear. Fear is not what he has in mind for us. He has life in mind for us. So church, if it would be okay, if you would mind, could you just bow your heads, please? Just give each other one, just a, each other, just a moment of privacy and respect. If that's you this morning, if you would love a personal history with God, a history of your own, or if you have an issue with fear this morning, I would love and just invite you to raise your hand. raise your hand just raise your hand just acknowledge that, that that's me I want my own relationship with God a personal relationship with Him. I want that confidence and I have an issue with fear and I want that darkness to grow come on church while you're sitting there pray for these people come on pray for these people Their lives are being robbed for them and God has so much more for them. Pray for them under your breath, church. Father God, I lift these people to you this morning. Father God, I know that your word says that you are faithful and you are gonna be faithful to these people this morning and you are gonna meet their need and there is gonna be miracles in this place this morning. Father God, I thank you that your word brings life and that you are gonna bring life to people this morning and you are gonna bring to each person a personal history where they know that you are God and where they know that you are able to provide for them and they are gonna know you in such a personal way that they're gonna have such a strong foundation, such a strong foundation of love. And Father God, you are gonna shine your light into people's hearts and you are gonna banish fear You are going to replace fear with love. Your arms of love are going to wrap around people this morning and they are going to feel so embraced by you that they are going to become so free, so free to give. And this house will be known as a house of bread where generosity, where generosity will flow out of this place and we will be known for our love for one another. Pray this in Jesus name and the church said